everyone. This is Devin Thorpe. I'm a Forbes contributor and I write the Social Entrepreneur blog. And we are extraordinarily lucky today to have with us Carolyn and Peter Lynch. Carolyn is the chairman and president of the Lynch Foundation and Peter serves as a trustee in the foundation. Of course, Peter is the legendary manager of the Magellan Fund. He ran the fund from 1977 through 1990, yielding a return of nearly 30% compounded across that span of time. Extraordinary results. Uh, Carolyn and Peter, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. I'm excited to talk to you a little bit because you have you you've grown your foundation significantly since 1990 when you established the foundation, which is a is what we would expect, frankly, from Peter Lynch to be able to grow assets and do more good with them. Uh, tell us a little bit about the work of the foundation and, and the kinds of things that you are uh, making your grants to accomplish. Uh, well, I think we're looking for um, organizations that are, um, that are very effective, organizations that can really fix some of the problems um, in our society, organizations that can be um, duplicated, uh, that can be cloned, that can grow, that can spread nationally and, and possibly even internationally. That's terrific. Now, you focus on uh, four areas, right? What are those four areas? Um, one is museum, um, religion, the Catholic Church, healthcare, and education. And how did you decide to focus on those areas? This, this must be uh, kind of some deeply personal uh, logic for why you go after those fields. Well, actually, we had to make that decision in, in 1980. And uh, we were really just um, novices in terms of, of doing this sort of work. And um, we picked, um, we picked uh, areas that we thought would be as broad as we would need in the future. So we were really looking for a very exposure. What are some of the lessons that you've learned over the years about effective philanthropy? It might be possible to start by one of basically fund organizations that has people plan their work and have an idea. There are some exceptions that Carol actually met with Wendy Kopp in 1990 or 91. I think she was 21 years old and one of the first 20 $25 Teach for America. She had a great idea, sounded terrific, and then we made another investment like 20 years later when it came to Boston. So we actually coming to Boston to fund it. So generally, it's an organization that's doing well, small. I think it's, it is, has major need. Education has been the majority of our uh, giving. You know, both of us went to public schools, and you know, 30, 40, 20 years ago, there were great public schools in America. Now there's 45 million kids in public school. And, Half of them get a good education, half are getting not so good education. I mean, we have the best college universities in the world. That means well in K through 12. What are some of the uh, things that you measure when you are uh, giving to uh, a charity or a nonprofit? How do you measure outcomes in order to determine whether they're making progress, having impact? Well, one thing is that we look at, um, we're very metrically oriented, and we do look at statistics over time. It's important that the organization make a change, actually produce a change that we can measure and that we can see. 
So, um, you know, one example of that is um, the achievement of the um, Acceleration Academies. That was uh, started in Boston in, in, uh, three years ago in the public school system. And um, it's a program that brings exceptional teachers who are recipients of this award called the Sontag Award and who come to Boston and are uh, given a, a professional development program by Harvard and the opportunity to participate in these, in these academies. They, they work in our, um, in our inner city schools uh, with the resources that are available to the inner city children and um, with uh, particular kinds of um, educational um, experience and, um, and the additional education time in the classroom for the children, um, they um, make a change in the child's life. So it was very important to us to understand exactly what kind of change it was, whether it was a significant difference. Um, and this is pure achievement in, in the subject, pure achievement in the subject. And um, so what we found was that after a, a two-week program um, in one of these academies, which is done during the um, school vacation break, um, the, uh, the average um, improvement by, as measured by the Massachusetts um, Association of, of um, Elementary and Secondary Schools uh, Board was a plus eight in the um, English language arts and a plus 11 in, um, in science and math. Now, to understand what that means, this same organization has set a standard of a plus 10 for a, a successful full year improvement. So this clearly was, was learning. We, we track it every year. We watch what it's doing every year because it's a, it's a small program. Um, it's a sort of a pilot program that um, I'm hoping gets more um, recognition and attention nationally because it is just extraordinarily effective. That's the kind of work. Deborah, another one we have is called the Achievement Networks. This is in Boston currently. We help fund it through our foundation. Carol did work on it. It's now affecting 300,000 students in the country. There's 45 million kids that are hoping to get to all 45 million. But basically, it tests children four times a year and once, which tends to be at the end of the year. And all you find out is that you know, students doing well and not doing so well, and then they make sure they have a new teacher. It's just taking early tests, very simple, and you find out the reason that Joe doesn't do well is he can't add a quarter in five eighths, or Susie has a problem with adverbs. So it helps the teacher rather than just saying, students not doing well, well, that's, you know, I think people know that. So, this is a really, I think this could be, this tune network I think should be in every elementary school in the country. Wow, that's an interesting observation. Uh, so, how do you, what, what lessons have you learned there that you apply in other things like in your healthcare philanthropy? Well, we were lucky enough through friends to find out about partners in health. Uh, you know, it's Paul Farmer and Jim Kim, great organization, great work in Haiti and other parts of the world. We were actually able to fund a study for multi-drug resistant tuberculosis, which is killing three or five million people a year. Terrible disease, but there is a cure for it. And they, we funded a pilot study to say, do certain regimens, reasonable costs, you can cure these people. They're going to live. And we did a study, and then after that, they got a major grant from a really major, lots of zeros from another foundation. Now it's got to spread around the world. So this is an example of getting in on an early, a spectacular group that yeah, we listen to a lot of, like in the stock market, hear other ideas, and then you do some work and say, this one's worth going after. So what are some of the other lessons that you've taken away from your experience as an investor and in applying that to uh, philanthropy? 
But again, Carol mentioned earlier, if you want to invest in something that can do something very rapidly and can be replicated, you can, we have this Lynch Leadership Academy we're doing here at Boston College, helping principals and inspiring principals. I think in the next five years, we're going to do 75% principals in charter schools, public schools, and the inner city appropriate schools. Really help them because it's the key person in America is the principal. They're the leader, they're the CEO, very hard job. There's no book on it, there's no one to talk to. So we're working with that. We think that could be replicated all over the United States. And how will, how does, help me understand what you're training those principals to do, because clearly, clearly they do play that linchpin role, but what are you teaching them to do or do better? Well, there are actually um, three areas that they focus on in, this, in the program. And um, maybe just a little bit of background of who our principals are. Um, principals um, are teachers. They've been teaching their whole career as they were new principals. And they're usually, um, you know, the, the principals that are the teachers that are the um, best in the school. And the other, when it becomes the position available, the other teachers will often go up to, you know, someone in, in the faculty and say, you know, you really should apply for this. You make a great principal. You're a great, you know, if we'd like to follow you, you're a good leader. And, um, but in terms of any kind of preparation for the job, which is very different from just teaching, um, not that you can ever use the word just in kind of teaching, but um, it, it encompasses a broader field of, of skills. And um, so they sort of walk into the job not really understanding exactly the complexity of what they're, what they're going to be working with. They're not only going to be still teachers, because they're, as teachers are leaders, and they'll still be leading the school and the faculty, they'll be working with curriculum design. Um, going forward, which is it's something that they're usually very well acquainted with by the time they start, but they also have to work with um, parent relationships, with community relationships, with relationships with other organ community organizations. Um, they have to also be able to um, do the, the management the business side of the school, um, order, deciding what textbooks to order, whether they're going to use um, virtual textbooks or paper textbooks, um, you know, how much money they need to invest. Um, in technology in the school um, for their particular needs and their particular situation. Um, and just the running of the whole building mechanically. Um, really, they're the one who signs the check. So, you know, they have to be up to speed on that too. And that is a very different job. And sometimes, so, sometimes the refrigerator doesn't work and the, the heater's not working and it's, it's leaking. It's just not, you know, it's like, and if you're the CEO, CIO, the COO, you're all the O's. <laughs> yeah. But there's no training for it. So we, we, these people get together and learn the best practices. They learn from others. And they stay with it for years. It's not like a, it's not like a quick go in, get a 30-minute course, you're up. It's a couple-week course, and then they meet in the summer, and they meet again. It's a year-long program. They stay forever. They stay in touch with this. There's certain things that work, and certain things that don't work. They, it's, we're in our third year. It's been a great success. I think one of the most important components of the program is the development of networks within the um, community of principals. And um, that, you know that's where, where technology and the internet has really um, allowed us to make great strides in that area. These people can be on FaceTime, they can be um, working together, um, meeting virtually, and um, just keeping the dialogue and the conversation going. The in the past, you've written a little bit or talked a little bit about the idea of doing careful due diligence on the financial condition of the philanthropies or the, excuse me, on the nonprofits you support. Give us a little sense of how and why 
the financial condition of the nonprofits is so important to you? Well, I think this is what we're, Carol's put in effect the last 10, 15 years that we've been doing this with our foundation for 25 years is that we want to look to see are they losing money, how much their money is given by two donors, and how, how dependent are they? It's just about to fail. Is this, or now they have a successful bribe. Is this something that really has potential to, to, to make it, or is it dubious? So we, we don't want to fund something that's about to drop out of business. And, you know, they're, they're clearly failing. Now, they're, we're willing to say, come back to us when you're doing better. But we, can, we actually want to advise some people so how they can help us on that. So we want to look to see, is it solid? That's important. So are, you're probably not then focusing your philanthropic dollars on startup new uh, charities. Rather, you're looking at those that are scaling, but maybe in their early stages. Is that yeah. right? The baseball analogy, when they're drawing up the lineups, when I'm interested, in the first or second inning, that's what we care. And then, you know, that would be Teach for America, City Year, uh, uh, National Mentoring Partnership. We've gone from 300,000 mentors in the United States to two, over 2 million. And that's something we've involved in for 22 years. So these are groups that they're, they're already successful. They just need a little more support, a little broader base, the leadership, and their role. They push the rock up the hill now. Gravity's going to work with them. How personally involved do you two get in these uh, charitable activities? Are, do you sit on boards of these uh, charities oftentimes, or are you very hands-off and relying on the good managers you're, in effect, investing in? Well, I would say, if you asked me that question 10 years ago, I would say that we're um, sitting on boards. Both Peter and I were active on, on a number of boards of organizations that uh, we were supporting then. And um, over time, that has lessened. And I think one of the reasons is just the, the time constraint for me personally and for Peter. I spent a lot more time um, researching and analyzing groups for the foundation. And so I had less time to sit on the boards. And I, and I find that, that I'm used more effectively um, as, as a researcher and an analyst in, in, instead of just a consultant for the... But I'm saying 95% of our grants sort of, which we're not on the board of. And we, yeah. And we just hand them the money maybe every year, we give a challenge grant, but hopefully when they follow up the reports and the great Katie Everett's our director, we get a lot of information, we're going to continue our we, We're not involved in running it. It's their job to run it. Well, fantastic. I, I suspect that some of the people who are going to tune into this are, are in fact, uh, looking for more money. How would they best approach you at this point to get money to help with their cause? Well, we have an application process, which um, starts with an initial letter. Um, and uh, after that, if we, if we read that and find that the... Um, the program is, is within our scope, or it's something that we're, we're looking to fund. Is there, there are great projects that are outside of the scope of our foundation, and um, so we just we just can't we can't do those too. But anyway, if we find they are, then we ask them to submit a, an application, and um, and that's a, a pretty lengthy uh, form. But um, we're we're not sort of one of those uh, one way swinging doors with the, with the application. We like the uh, the app the uh, person to. Um, answer the questions, they're, they're mostly um, short answer or long answer questions, um, you know, once you get through the, the standard um, 501c3 numbers and that sort of thing. 
sure. and um, and talk to us about you know exactly what they do. We really want to feel. Uh, before I, I would you know even make a, a second um, look at an organization, I would really want to know um, kind of what their mission and their philosophy is. Um, a lot of organizations will come to us and, and fill out what they think we want. So honesty is, is a very important quality. Sure. Uh, I'd be surprised how often you can you can see their their attempts to construe what, what the on their papers what we're looking for. Um, that's not very impressive to me. Yeah. Uh, but when I hear a true, clear, honest voice that resonates with with us and and with our um, objectives and philosophies, then then I'm I'm looking at that very closely. That's that's. Yeah. That, that's wonderful. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. This has just been so helpful. I think you brought some real insights into how uh, philanthropy can be effective. And I know there are a lot of people who have uh, desires to do more and to be more effective with their philanthropy. So thank you very much for making the time today. Uh, the foundation website is at uh, thelynchfoundation.org. Let's do some good. This is Devin Thorpe. Thank you for joining me today for this podcast, which was recorded during a live broadcast of this interview via Google Hangouts on Air. A video recording of the interview is available at youtube.com slash devinthorpe. You can learn more about the work of the Your Mark on the World Center at yourmarkontheworld.com.